Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions, there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that, I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result, he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This jaw position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic jaw position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct jaw position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets such as Facebook and Twitter. You can find the podcast on multiple streaming providers such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, visit sportshistorynetwork.com. There you will find 20 other sports history podcasts to browse. If you really love sports, check us out at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can email me questions or provide feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Thanks for your support, and I always appreciate feedback. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Last time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, I introduced you to a man that helped legitimize a professional football league in the United States. Pro football in the 1920s was looked down on. Red Grange changed people's minds with the way he played the game. He grew up in Wheaton, Illinois in the early 1900s. According to the YouTube documentary Larger Than Life, The Red Grange Story, Wheaton had about 4,000 people living in the burbs of Chicago. This time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, the story of the Galloping Ghost, also known as the Wheat Nice Man, continues. So get comfy wherever you are and enjoy listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast.
According to George Lundin, a famous sculptor in Colorado, Red had a tough childhood. Not only did his mom die at a young age, but because his dad worked all the time just to pay the bills, Red and his brother Garland pretty much raised themselves. Gary Andrew Poole, the author of the book The Galloping Ghost, mentions in the documentary Larger Than Life that the boys often snuck out of the house after they did their chores of cooking and cleaning to play football in a nearby apple orchard. Poole says when Lyle found out that they were playing football after Red came home with a sore back, he didn't react. He saw the dedication Red had to the game and just decided to let him play. When Red was in high school, he played multiple sports. In the first episode of my podcast, I mentioned that Red earned 16 letters of excellence over a four-year career, participating in football, basketball, baseball, and track. I run the 220, and I high jumped, and I broad jumped. And uh, I won the 220 one year, and the high in the broad jump one year, and uh, won the 100 one year. It was on the track that head coach Bob Zupke of the University of Illinois first saw a red fly by. My senior year in high school, I was on the track team. This was at Champaign. When Zupke came out and introduced himself and walked about a half a block with me, and he said, uh, young fella, if you come to Illinois, he said, you might have a good chance to make the football team. That was enough for me. Charlie Finn, a Red Grange historian, mentions in the YouTube documentary Larger Than Life that Back in those days, there was no scholarships given to college football players. I never received a dime going to Illinois. I paid for all my own meals. I've often said the only money I ever made was when I was on a trip and you might get a free meal for something. When Red said yes to Coach Zubke in 1923, he pledged the fraternity Zeta Psi. I was pledged to the Zeta Psi fraternity, and I'll tell you, I got out for football. They didn't ask me what I was going to do. They lined all the pledges up in a row, and they said, you do this, you do that, and you do that. They got to me, and they said, you go out for football. And I said, no, I'm a basketball player. They said, go out for football. I went over to old Illinois field, and there must have been, oh, 100 kids out for for football, for the freshman team. And I didn't even ask for a suit. I had heard all of these Chicago boys and Britton of Elgin and Doherty of Streeter, and I went back to the fraternity house, and they lined me up against the wall, my head against the wall, and they hit me with a paddle, which they do. There's still a dent in the wall at the Zeta Psi house where my head hit that wall, so I decided I'd go out for football. According to NCAA statistics, in 1923, Red's sophomore season at the University of Illinois, he has 726 rushing yards on 129 attempts. He averaged 5.6 yards per rush and scored 12 touchdowns. He would be a consensus All-American. In 1924, his junior season, 
he rushed for 743 yards on 113 attempts. His yards per rush average went up to 6.6 and he scored 13 times. His stats in the 1924 season dwarfed that one game that made Red the most famous. I'm talking about the big game between the Fighting Illini and the Michigan Wolverines. That was a game that everyone wanted to see because of Grange. A massive crowd of 67,000 fans tried to push, shove, and sneak their way into Memorial Stadium on October 18, 1924. What would happen would be the single greatest performance in college football history. Here is George Lundeen, the artist who sculpted a 12-foot bronze statue of Red Grange from the Red Grange documentary, Larger Than Life. Red Grange played the best game of his career at the best possible time. In 1924, 67,000 fans gathered at Memorial Stadium to watch the Michigan game. In the first 12 minutes, they witnessed football history. At the start of the game, Michigan won the coin toss and chose to kick off. Red not only was the star halfback on offense for the Fighting Illini, but he also was the returner on kickoffs and punts on special teams. Michigan kicked off, and what happened next was a fluke, according to Coach Yost of Michigan. Red took the kickoff and galloped 95 yards untouched to the end zone for a 6-0 lead. In 1920s college football, the opposing team had a choice of kicking off again or receiving the ball after a touchdown. Coach Yost chose to kick off again to try and stop Red. This time, it worked and the Michigan kickoff team stopped Red at the 20-yard line. But did they really? Zubke and Yost would battle each other with their playbooks. On the first play of the new drive, Grange took the handoff and ran through all the defenders and scored a 67-yard touchdown. Most of the stadium's 67,000 fans were screaming in enjoyment. The others, not so much. After Red scored his second touchdown on two touches, Michigan had a chance to receive the ball and try to score on their own. The tough defense of Illinois stopped them and forced a punt. On the next play, Grange again was given the handoff and again galloped his way into the end zone for another rushing touchdown, this time from 56 yards out. This was his third of the first quarter. Many Michigan fans were now getting upset and frustrated and wondering what the heck was going on with the defense. They looked like they had just seen a ghost. By the time the second quarter started, Grange had scored another rushing touchdown from 44 yards out, making it his fourth within the first 12 minutes. Later, Red would score one more rushing touchdown and then pass for a touchdown. In all, Red scored six times that day, helping the Fighting Illini blow out the Wolverines 39-14. By the end of the season, it was impossible not to make him a consensus pick to be an All-American. 
At the Sports History Network, we're all about the sports yesteryear, and so we're pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life. The Row One Gallery features over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, and advertisements in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. Any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. It's your choice. In the Row One Shop, you can pick from thousands of unique items that feature retro and historical backgrounds dating back to 1876. We have everything from clothing to phone cases to mugs, even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row one for access to the full row one catalog. When you buy from the gallery today, you can instantly save 15% on your purchase. All you have to do is enter the code SHN15 and your discount will be applied. That's SHN15. That's it. Simple. Save 15% off all your prints in the Row 1 Gallery. Just go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row 1. That's sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row 1 sportshistorynetwork.com and don't forget to check out all the podcasts on the Sports History Network. After the game, many newspaper outlets wrote about Grange's spectacular one-man performance. It even inspired a well-known sports writer to write something catchy. Henry Grantland Rice, known to a few as Granny, wrote, quote, a streak of fire, a breath of flame, eluding all who reach and clutch, a gray ghost thrown into the game, the rival hands may never touch, a rubber-bounding, blasting soul, whose destination is the goal. By the end of the season, it was impossible not to make him a consensus pick to be an All-American. Entering his senior season in 1925, Grange was so good that he caught the eye of a businessman who was looking for a way to change his financial future. The man known to a lot of people as C.C. was C.C. Pyle, the owner of the Virginia Movie Theater in Champaign. According to Gary Andrew Poole, C.C., or as some also call him Cash and Carry, befriended Grange after he would let the Illinois University football team into the theater for free. One night, while Red and a teammate had just sat down to enjoy a movie, an usher tapped him on the shoulder and said that Cece wanted to talk to him. Curious, Red got up out of his seat and went to meet with Pyle. As soon as the handshake between the two happened, Pyle didn't beat around the bush by asking Red if he wanted to make $100,000 or more. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story will continue in the next episode. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter. You can find the show on most streaming providers such as Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also email questions or feedback to pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network. For more information, go to sportshistorynetwork.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Sources of information were found on the web at YouTube, the Red Grange Collection, and Google Books, such as The Galloping Ghost, written by Gary Andrew Poole. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.